Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another episode of Badass Unscripted. Today, I want to touch on the really insidious impacts of multitasking. Now, don't think of multitasking at the task level. Let me be, let me be specific about what I'm looking to solve. When we have teams that are working on six, seven projects at a time, as will be the case in most professional project organizations, they will usually be looking to farm out talents at every category. So whether it's developer or project manager, they're going to be looking to place those people on projects to help business teams achieve a certain outcome, whether it's technical or not. Now, the difficulty is if they're almost always understaffed, and they usually are, demand is higher than supply. What ends up happening is in order to meet a pressing set of present deadlines, they're going to split that person or persons across multiple projects simultaneously. We all expect that. That's just naturally the way things tend to work. But when we focus on projects rather than on teams, especially from an agility perspective, you're forcing people to multitask. You're forcing people to context switch between initiatives, between different business teams, between different technical teams, and they're constantly shifting focus and shifting fire. Here's the real problem with that. Not only do we know that the context switching act itself is very expensive, but it's apparent if you've ever worked in that environment that something is lost in the translation. See, one of the magical parts of agility is the notion that with every evolution comes the opportunity to improve. And the faster your evolutions are, the more quickly you'll reap the benefits of those changes. So the sooner you drop something into the marketplace, the sooner you can learn from it, the sooner you can fix any problems, and the sooner you can get to better. Well, here's what I've noticed as I coach people around the world, is that they're desperately looking for, hey, as a coach, they want you to bring some experience, things that you've learned, things that you know will work, so they can spend more of their time on experiments likely to succeed, and, and less, you know, avoiding the mistakes that, where possible, can be avoided. A quick coaching note there, by the way, that's not always right. Sometimes the real learning happens when people experience mistakes for themselves, even if you knew beforehand how it was going to turn out. That's part of autonomy, to my mind, is letting people fail at their own pace and at the right time. But that's going a little bit off topic. When people ask you for any kind of coaching or insight, and you give it to them and you say, here's what I think you should do next. And now that I think about it, some of that coaching even will come from retrospectives or from lessons learned in the field. So these are things that even if I wasn't there, the team would eventually figure out. So a great example might be this. Let's say we're doing a workshop for a client and we learn after doing the first workshop that if all we do is sit there as you know, talking heads and preach to them, it's not as effective as if we get them involved or if we inventory what people are experiencing and what they really want and desire, or even if we do a survey ahead of time to figure out what some of the common pain points or desires might be. So by simply showing up with a bunch of assumptions and talking at them, we fail. But if we make those minor adjustments, we tend to have a much better experience. So you can teach a team that, reflect on it with them, have them all agree that that is the most important change to make in the next iteration. But if that next iteration doesn't happen for three months because they're thinly spread across multiple initiatives, the next time they do it, they tend to forget that we even talked about it. So they have no ritual of going back and looking at lessons learned. They have no backlog of priority changes to make. They have no sense of what they could implement next to make things better. And they have no urgency around applying those lessons learned to make a better finished product. So they simply go back, they rest on what they know, 
And what they've learned over a lifetime, a career of doing the things the same way. And they repeat the mistake. They go in and they don't do the survey or they don't do the interactivity. And as an observer, hoping to see those things, you sit back and you kind of go, well, here we are preaching, retrospectives, inspecting and adapting. We inspected and adapted, and you didn't do anything about it. You didn't take the lessons learned and build something new and better. And why did that happen? It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they have any kind of lack in terms of the how-to or the intellect or the, the, even the will to make change. It's because they're so busy with other stuff that your mind just isn't capable of remembering all of these things. So what ends up happening is we have to keep these big complicated spreadsheets, there's that word again, of all the stuff that we're supposed to remember and all the different areas we're supposed to remember it. Now, I'm not proposing that businesses have to ditch that model because in some cases, it's just, you know, a lot of companies aren't ready for it. And in some cases, it's not fiscally responsible. But the reality is you need to understand that those are hidden costs. The alternative is hiring more people who can sit on dedicated teams and really focus on a specific product, a specific set of outcomes, and they're gonna have learnings that they can implement and experiment with every day because they're up to the neck in that particular environment and initiative. But that too, hiring that many people and running the risk that they may be idle is not palatable to most businesses. So the alternative, you know, run a team at 50 to 60% ideal capacity and let them multitask and jump between projects. Well, one of the downsides that's hard to measure is the loss of evolution and the speed of that evolution and how many times you have to repeat the same mistakes before you move on to a better finished product and improvements through true lessons learned. So when you communicate with executives about how to structure teams and environments for better agility, that's something to keep in your back pocket. That's an interesting discussion point that you may even want to raise, highlight, or better still demonstrate so they can understand the impact of the choices that they make. And that's that comes down to leadership mindset around investment in agility. Tell me what you think, guys. Reach out at badassagile.com. Find me on Twitter at badass underscore agile or look for me on the Instagram at badass agile. Look forward to connecting with you there. Have a great week, guys. Until we meet again, stay badass. Badass.